Smartcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Ahoy there. Nick Cage. And don't pretend like you don't know who I am. What do you see? We cut the chit-chat a-hole. All right, I'm a little tired, a little wired, and I think I deserve a little appreciation. Uh, shame on you! I lost just a little bit of control there, but now everything's cool. Or Whatever Movies with Wesley and Iris. What up and welcome to Or Whatever Movies. I'm your co-host, Iris, and I'm here with my older brother, Wesley. Doing his best Sean Connery impression because today we're talking a movie from 1996, Michael Bay all the way, The Rock. This episode is dedicated to our friend, the late Philip Baker Hall, who plays Chief Justice in The Rock. And made notable appearances in Hard Eight, Magnolia. Boogie Nights, even. I want to make a dollar and a cent in this business. Uh, he's one of your favorites, right? I mean, he's been in some of my favorite movies. Both Philip Baker Hall and Sean Connery looking quite distinguished in their Silver Fox old ageness. Man. It's interesting for you to point out Philip Baker Hall because this is a very interesting cast. Yep. All the way from Sean Connery and Nicolas Cage down to some of the character actors. It's an interesting collision of actor universes. All headed by Sean Connery. No, wait. But yes, top billing on the rock poster, even though we're not talking about him at all today. No, we are, but... But I'm very curious... If you feel like this is a Nicolas Cage-defining film, and how. But also, I want to do a quick quiz. Okay. When you think of these actors, tell me the first movie that you think of, you know, the the, the defining movie for this actor, Sean Connery, go. Go. I, I got to think of The Rock. It's the one with Sean Connery that I've watched the most. You don't think of James Bond? Right, but it was before my time. This movie, I was 18 years old, for God's sake. I mean, what are you going to do? Wow. Target audience much. Ed Harris. Ed Harris, I got to go with Apollo 13 for me. Pollock. Pollock. No. Mm. David Morse. Um, for me, it's Contact. <laughs> this is so weird. Definitely. And the Green, and the green Mile. A hundred percent Bjork. hundred percent Bjork? Yes. Bjork? Like Dancer in the Dark? Yes. <laughs> I saw that movie like once. Michael Bean. Uh, Kyle Reese, Terminator. Although John, Johnny yeah. Ringo is up there, but it's after Terminator. Yeah, I'd say Terminator, having now seen Terminator. Tony Todd. Uh, the Candyman guy? Yes, Candyman. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, he, he's the rock for me because I never actually saw the Candyman. <laughs> All right, lastly, Claire Forlani. Mm, not, probably not this one because her role is so small, but meet Joe Black most likely. 
I think of completely different movies than you do when you think of this guest. That's why we do a movie podcast. But we are here today because we're talking about Nicolas Cage. And this is an episode within the Nicolas Cage Month series. Yeah, one of Nicolas Cage's many, apparently, Jerry Bruckheimer films. We talked about National Treasure uh, several years later, and I called that the pinnacle of Nicolas Cage's popularity and commercial viability. And I think I was wrong. I think with the massive cast, if you're going to go six degrees of Kevin Bacon and or Nicolas Cage, The Rock is probably a good place to start. So you feel like this is a defining film for him because he was at the height of his fame? Well, he had just, I mean, on one of the first days of filming, he was talking to Michael Bay, I think. And he was like, yeah, I got this other film coming out. I you know, hope it does well. And Michael Bay is like, good luck. And Sean Connery apparently wanted to work with him because of leaving Las Vegas. And so it was unexpected. He hadn't won the Oscar when he started this movie. Oh, so when this movie came out, he was Oscar winner Nicolas Cage? Somewhere in there, yeah. So somewhere during production. And so his popularity in terms of, you know, just like accolades was way up there. And The Rock, a really big, successful financial movie for Michael Bay. Maybe one of Michael Bay's best, maybe arguably Michael Bay's best movies, because boy, Michael Bay has made some stinkers. This is definitely an example of Michael Bay, big, dumb fun. But tell me, there's a fine line between a Michael Bay stinker and a Michael Bay success. Like, what are the top three Michael Bay stinkers? I mean, as they got, as they went on, the Transformers got more offensive and just dumber and just louder. We talked about how it's just a mishmash of crazy action and stuff. The thing is, the dude is a household name, but he's crazy over the top. His style is so often, is so recognizable and I guess parodied. Is Armageddon a big Michael Bay stinker? Uh, it is a big Michael Bay success. This is arguably the best time for Michael Bay as well, where uh, The Rock was very popular and then Armageddon was right on its heels a couple, a couple of years later. I like Armageddon personally. It was uh, one of my fonder <laughs> birthday movies for that year, 97. Interesting. So what makes this a quintessentially Michael Bay film? Well, and then we'll get to Nicolas Cage. You know it's a Michael Bay film when they have the sweeping 360-degree hero shot when they get out of cars. Nicolas Cage does it in the yellow Ferrari. When there's helicopters and F-18s all over the place, particularly silhouetted by the sunset in the background. Huge explosions. Like There's not a lot, a lot of explosions in the rock unless you're counting the streetcar during the car chase and then the unnecessary explosion at the end from the F-18s. But uh, that's typically what he's known for. Don't forget all of the testosterone. Yeah, testosterone that comes through in the sweat and the close-ups and the jump cut editing kind of stuff. It's basically like big hardware and like sweaty tack geared dudes. <laughs> tack gear, shaky close-ups, swooping pans, that kind of stuff, yeah. Yeah, that car chase is like all kinds of shaky close-ups of people like gritting their teeth and turning wheels. Yep. What makes this film quintessentially Nick Cage and therefore appropriate for Nicolas Cage Month on or whatever movies? So this was the beginning of his action career. As Nicolas Cage himself puts it, he wanted to zag when others expected him to zig. And that's how he kind of got into action films after the little independent drama that was leaving Las Vegas. And this is maybe his finest hour. It's when we start to see he's firmly in control and Nicolas Cage is and was a good actor this is his actiony role where he can also be all zany and like screamy and Zeus's buttholey and stuff did you so we watched this I watched this on Peacock was this edited for TV did we see a TV edit no why 
There's a lot of buttholes and a-holes and like self-censored lines and insults. I've seen The Rock a bunch of times, but Michael Bay, by his own admission, makes films for what he calls teenage boys and try to avoid the R rating. And he wants it to be as commercially available as possible. And so I'm not surprised if they toned it down a little bit. I think a lot of the Nick Cage, Zeus's butthole kind of stuff, cut the chit-chat a-hole, I think that's all him kind of being colorful and and ad-libbing. And also maybe in line with his doctor... Dr. Stanley Goodspeed. Dr. Stan... I don't know how I forgot that. Well, I'm Stan Goodspeed, (laughs) but of course you are. Maybe that's just in line with how Dr. Goodspeed's just kind of a nerd. Yeah, he's a chemical freak. Chemical super freak, actually. You know, I think that I've identified a Nicolas Cage tick. Yeah, he has many of them. Yeah, but I'm not talking about the... I mean, would you call, would you call the talking like this? And then get really excited. Would you call that a tick? Where he ramps up? Yeah, that's totally his thing. His, like, random outbursts. Yeah, <laughs> he really does that a lot in this. But I think his physical tick is the flappy hand. <laughs> the, like, come on, let's keep it moving kind of hand? The Nick Cage flappy hand. Yes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> And he did it in Matchstick Men. I'm just telling you, look out for future Nick Cage Flappy Hand. Well, with respect, he is Italian. Wow. <laughs> so you're going to turn this into a race thing? He's just That's just genetic gesticulation? Yep. That should be the poster quote, genetic gesticulation. Right up there with the Leo finger, the Nick Cage Flappy Hand is going to become a thing. This is him at prime likability, I think. And this this one, he is undoubtedly the, the lead of this movie, although promotionally, Sean Connery gets top billing and center stage on the poster. And people have called this kind of a late stage pseudo Bond movie. And all credit due to Sean Connery. He plays a great former British ops criminal macgyver type. He's a lot of fun. Sean Connery's a ton of fun in this. But they take a long, they take an awfully long time to get to The Rock, don't you think? To get to Alcatraz? Yeah, there's a whole, like, adventure, action-adventure contained in them partnering up in the first place. Like, that's the most over-the-top car chase I think I've ever seen. And a late-stage edition wasn't in the screenplay when Michael Bay signed on, but there was a big nothing-happening section of the whole movie trying to recruit the Sean Connery character. So they, they put in a big thing, and apparently San Francisco, despite having a history of car chases, doesn't love car, or at least they know how to leverage it. Like their car chase rider has a bunch of stipulations like you have to pay for our dry cleaning and provide valet parking when you mess up our street and have to paint buildings that they scorch when they blow stuff up. So, yeah, a lot of uh, a really good car chase, I think, as incoherent and Michael Bay, I think, as it is at times. I don't know. I agree with you there. It's um, it's pretty epic, I guess. But I don't understand. I don't really understand what's happening most of the time. <laughs> the cops are really bumbling. Like, they're not good cops. How is it that the cop cops are worse than Nicolas Cage in a Ferrari? Why is Nicolas Cage, like, the smart... He, he kind of, like, wavers between being, like the smart, capable guy and being completely incompetent inconsistently. Yeah, that's Nicolas Cage's thing. He's smart and focused and matchstick men and all in his suit. And then he does Nicolas Cage ticky nerdy thing. I mean, I guess. But suddenly he's really good at car chases and he knows the secret shortcuts and, you know, is basically the only one who's able to kind of keep up with him. But I felt like the the car chase was convoluted. It was um, not entirely coherent. It was a little long, actually. (laughs) And the streetcar stuff, totally unnecessary. Like, it's just because how else do you blow up San Francisco other than to send an icon like a streetcar 30 feet into the air before it comes crashing down in a 
fireball. That's exactly why, because it was totally iconic, and it actually was the genesis of the car chase. Michael Bay saw a thing. He read an article about where the train left the track, like it derailed, and it spilled a bunch of people off the streetcar. And he was like, what if Sean Connery hit it with a Hummer? <laughs> the genesis, the seed of all great ideas. Yep. But Nicolas Cage's uh, Stanley Goodspeed in his Ferrari is willing to do the things the cops won't. He like looks at the plate glass window and he's like, well, why not? And then like drives the car through the window, even though he doesn't know if there are pedestrians on the other side. Yeah, that was the other thing. Just the collateral damage. You can't account for it. It's, right? it's totally it's reprehensibly irresponsible the collateral damage to get him to to what to apprehend reapprehend him right we don't know what's happening because that fugitive uh scenario is meant to be kept secret and the rock uh nobody knows the real chemical warfare threat that san francisco is under and everybody glosses over the fact that there was just like a major explosion in the middle of downtown and car chases and collateral damage and likely people got killed and stuff nobody got killed in that car chase at all in michael bay's world uh, I guess not. Just a lot of property damage and, and busted up cars. I mean, the old lady definitely does not get killed. The wheelchair crew does not get killed. We're very clear on that. Right. Well, because they were like athletic wheelchair bound people. Weren't they like passing a basketball or a football or something as they went past? I think so. They were definitely coordinated. And those those serve their very important purposes, right, of helping us like Sean Connery, like the fact that he goes out of his way to avoid the stereotypical old woman, old lady crossing the street, yep. the fact that he wants to reconnect with his daughter. These are all devices that are intended for us to, to make us like him. Yeah, well, he respects the senior community being a member himself. <laughs> yeah, and I guess he respects families or at least has come to in his time of reflection in prison. We know, we know he's likable because he's well-read and sympathetic. Ah, an educated man. <laughs> Which, why is, why is Latin always the indicator of education? Because nobody knows. Uh, it's a dead language. And if you know stuff in Latin, nobody can really fact check you on it. Three, mo three movies where they use Latin as an indicator of intelligence. Another Michael Bean movie, Tombstone, which is obviously the first one, the one at the forefront of your mind. Uh, yep. Nicol another cool. Nicolas Cage movie, National Treasure, and then The Rock. One more. Uh, the Jesus movie, Passion of the Christ. No, that was Aramaic. <laughs> we just talked about it. Which one? The Lost City. Oh, okay. Have you been to Alcatraz? Nope. Kelly Ray won't let me. Why? I don't know. She has no no interest in it. Um, apparently, it's not a good place to film a movie. Michael Bay, they wanted him to do it like on sets, and some of it was on sets, a giant set, as a matter of fact. But they wanted just establishing pretty shots and then shoot it somewhere else. And he was like, he went there and was like, no, we got to film here. But apparently, it's really dangerous and crumbling, and somebody called it like Tetanus Island or something. <laughs> Well, that certainly seemed like tetanus cave down there. And why would they have these like massive, I don't know, is catacombs the right word? Yeah. This massive tunnel structure underneath the thing. Because the rock, like, how do you enter the rock? Obviously, through the steam vent, through the tunnels. of the What tunnels? There's like an entire temple of doom underneath the rock. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, this is the dumbest thing I've ever seen. And there's like mine carts and junk. And then it turned out like 20 years after this movie was released, they did a study of some kind and found there are buildings and tunnels under there. Presumably because, as stated in the rock, it was originally a civil war fort. So I don't know that it's accessible or whatever, or if they knew it it obviously wasn't filmed under there but there's stuff under alcatraz island really 
But they didn't make that with this knowledge. I don't think so, no. And so it was completely ridiculous and really well lit. And the, like, right. the steam stuff was going and there was like waterfalls and junk into there. And it's like, <laughs> what? Yeah, it's all really, It's it was cavernous. You got the mine carts, you got the pulley systems, you got the furnaces and all the fun things. But also just like very, very accessible, you know, from the shower. Like how did convicts not escape through that shower drain? <laughs> right. You'd think there would be like littered with bodies of people attempting to escape who couldn't navigate the flame bursts. Yeah, just lined up at the, at the furnace. <laughs> All like decayed with prison jumpsuits, like striped prison outfits and hats and stuff. Yeah, totally. Eye patches and treasure yeah. maps and all But it the, would have been starvation because there was plenty of water. You could drink water under there forever. Uh, I don't know. It was all like sewage and ocean. Yeah, maybe it was salt water. Yeah. I like the fact that they only built 150 feet of track. <laughs> so that incredibly long minecart chase and stuff or the ride was all just on the same stretch of track over and over and over again. <laughs> And meant to be bigger. It was going to be all those swinging carts, but they ran out of money. And they're like, let's just do the thing at the, the track. Um, it would make a great ride. This is for teenage boys. It's a rocking boy. Kelly Ray is the one who suggested Nicolas Cage Month. And she got a little bit squirmy during the rock. She was like checking her phone and stuff. And I was like, you signed up for this. Why was she squirmy? Sensory overload? I don't think it's a movie for chicks. I found it to be a little tedious, I have to say. I was like, it's basic. It's just a huge sausage fest. And we've got a girlfriend and a daughter. Their name is Carla and Jade. Thank you very much. No, no. Pointless. They're functions of the men. I mean, I guess you can say there's some nuance with like Ed Harris's turn or Stanley Goodspeed's kind of clever and... I guess Sean Connery, you could say. Mason's layered, I guess. <laughs> but the whole time I was just like, okay, okay. Oh, yeah. I mean, I don't even know that I was like particularly gripped. Like the fact that there's so much action kind of takes the stakes right out of it. Yeah, that's a popular uh, complaint about Michael Bay movies. And everyone, all the characters exist to support the main dudes, the Sausage Fest on stage. Women, minorities, they're just kind of gone in a flash and, and don't really do have much place. It's kind of like uh, Ridley Scott and Thelma and Louise and talking about like helicopters and truckers and, and all that kind of stuff. And then in the middle, we'll probably shoot some of that dialogue and character right. stuff it's like michael bay's gotta have first and foremost the helicopters and the explosions apparently he dialed back at the studio's request the excessive helicopter shots that he wanted to feature throughout wow this is controlled michael bay controlled nicholas cage uh and probably controlled action for veteran sean connery i mean he's definitely done his fair share of action films yeah this is probably his last big one he did like entrapment and league of extraordinary gentlemen but he is like actually fighting and shooting and running and gunning in this movie yeah and like hanging upside down from mine carts and yep. stuff i think stan goodspeed is along for the ride because mason is the old dog prison break one he's the one in this movie He's the knowledgeable one, and I think that Mason was right. Uh, Hummel was never going to do it. In fact, I thought, because you've got to have the VX gas and the little pearls on the island, but all he needed was the threat of force. And when they called the bluff, that's it. Mission's over. There is no money, right? Did he need to take the poison gas that he never intended to launch at San Francisco to the rock? He could have stolen it, squirreled it away someplace safe, and then just gone to the rock and been like, hey, we're going to do this thing. 
which if it didn't work out would have been much easier on him because he was never going to kill people. It's true. I'm not sure about Ed Harris, whether or not he was never going to, whether he was never going to kill people or if he had had a change of heart because he, for all appearances, his mercenaries believed and were on board with killing people. Yeah. Right. And so why would he take it to that extreme with them? I mean, maybe he thought his plan would work out and he didn't have a contingency. But as far as his men were concerned, they were all aligned to take it all the way. And so I was very confused by his turn. Ed Harris is the man, is all you got to know. And he was going to have his moral redemption in this movie, even if he has to get shot and land on an obvious blue mattress when he does. (laughs) I missed that. That was just like a stunt pad that they didn't like paint out? Yeah, it like curls up around him on the sides when he falls out of frame. I think he lost his nerve. Yeah. Everyone's a bad guy turned good guy. Obviously, Stanley's good. He's good as in his name. But Hummel is good, ultimately. Obviously, Mason is good and uh, stays around. His sniper's going to get his ash and then, like, comes back and saves him. And uh, the only bad guy in this movie was, like, Womack, you piece of shit, who seems okay, like, because he tears up uh, Mason's pardon. Yeah, and he really was never going to honor it. Even Baxter gets his redemption. David Morris is, lo- is loyal to the end and also grows a conscience. Yep. I don't know. I'm struggling with the Nick Cage connection here. Of why we chose this movie? I chose this movie because it's before everything went off the rails, Nicolas Cage and Michael Bay included. I think The Rock is successful and just not for everyone. It's everything ratcheted up to a 12. There's testosterone all over the place. And if you're not on that level, then you're probably not going to appreciate it. Like me and the rest of the teenage boys for whom this movie was made. And at 18, you were primed and ready for The Rock. And I think it made some kind of special impression on you. Yep. And he was like, Womack, looks like you're between a rock and a hard case. And I was like, ah, I don't know what that means. Uh, you know, maybe this is like the, maybe the rock is like the female equivalent of the lost city where it's just (laughs) kind of in one ear and out the other. Like I give it the bandwidth for an hour or two back then and today. And then it's just kind of gone. Come on, man. Go, go, go. We got company. And like, there's lots of romance and there's romance. (laughs) Yeah. They went, there's some doing it on the roof. This movie has more honeymoons than The Lost City. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Who wouldn't want to go to on their honeymoon to St. Michael's Church in Fort Walton, Kansas? And definitely the uh, the tourism was driven up for Alcatraz after this movie. I wonder if the same was true for Fort Walton, Kansas. I mean, can you pick a more conspicuous getaway vehicle? It's a bromance movie. It's a romantic tragedy, the last movie of Don Simpson and Jerry Bruckheimer together, at least we thought. Lovingly dedicated to Don Simpson. He didn't get the same uh, shout out at Top Gun Maverick. But still, 26 years later, he comes roaring back. With the one of the biggest movies, not of all time. Nope, but the biggest Tom Cruise movie, yeah. All right, well, you know, I'm not I'm not hating on The Rock. It was fine. It was fine. It's just the kind of movie where everything is excessive. Sean Connery's ideas of snacks at the Fairmont Hotel is the giant lobster platter brought in for the FBI agents to share. Just a microcosm of Michael Bay-ness? Yep. Just go bay or go home? Go bay or go home. Just go bay? As one YouTube video put it, he turned the San Francisco Bay into the San Francisco Bay. The Bay Area into the Bay Area. Get it? Wow. All right. 
So please don't tell me you give this a totally. I'm going to give this movie a totally. It is all over the place. I worried a little bit for my fiance's uh, seasickness during some of the scenes. And it got excessive. And you can see the hallmarks of Michael Bay going off the rails. It's like bacteria in a Petri dish. You know, some of the bad stuff, if you watch it long enough, it's going to grow and grow and just take over everything. And all that stuff seems obvious in Michael Bay's later movies. And you can see the seeds of it in The Rock. You know, good for its time and place when I was around 18, when I was in, you know, the exactly the target audience. And then since then, I was a little bit shocked by how bored I was and like, OK, let's get through this. Uh, so but The Rock represents the this era of Nicolas Cage, the action star. And I chose it because I thought that as a commercial success and something more memorable, it's noteworthy that The Rock is included in the Criterion Collection of all things, as is Armageddon. This was definitely the correct era and maybe the right choice for this era of Nicolas Cage, but uh, I stand by my decision. And The Rock is an all right movie, especially for the kind of movie that it is. But for lovers of serious cinema, for the Criterion Collection, I'm not sure how many of those nerds picked this one up. That's just weird. That's like the weirdest, most random factoid. The Rock, 1996, is a, is a Criterion Collection selectee. Bizarre. But I guess indicative of a, of a specific time and place and also a milestone of the star of this month's series, Nicolas Cage. So we hope you enjoyed this discussion on The Rock. We got an all right from Wes, a good from Iris, you know, for what it what it is and what it's <laughs> worth. And check out other episodes in our Nicolas Cage Month series. Subscribe to our podcast. Contact us at 818-835-0473 or whatevermovies at gmail.com. Follow us on social media at or whatever movies. We love to hear from you and we'll see you next time. Welcome to Ringside with Ray and Prince. My name is Ray Leonard Jr. Oh, that's my name is Prince Daniels Jr. Daniels again with a big hole. On this show, we come to humanize athletes, entertainers, business executives. We're going to see what makes them tick. Tuesdays, 10 a.m. Pacific time on Spotify, Apple, Amazon, and wherever you get your podcasts. We'll see you there. Peace and power. Electric acid. Hey guys, it's Miriam Love here. And I want to share something very special with you. Check out my new release, All In, the Spanish remixes, out now on Electric House Records. And always remember, be love, share love, all love. Available now wherever you listen to music.